Hello and welcome to a VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today we'll be discussing the risk factors associated with multiple myeloma and coronavirus. Speaking via an online conference call with the Video Journal of Hematological Oncology, Professor Mohamed Moti of St. Antoine Hospital discusses how we can protect patients with multiple myeloma. Specifically mentioned is the importance of distancing measures, emphasising the additional caution that should be exercised with hematological oncology patients. This is really a very uh, challenging time uh, when it comes to the management of uh, multiple myeloma uh, patients during this COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, I think, first of all, we need to acknowledge, unfortunately, that uh, the myeloma uh, patients are part of uh, the so-called highly vulnerable uh, group of uh, people who are at higher risk of uh, uh, getting the COVID-19 infection. And this can be explained by several factors. Uh, myeloma by itself as a disease uh, usually induces a very low level of immunity. And we know in general, uh, outside the COVID-19 uh, problem, that myeloma patients usually have a very high risk of infectious complications, especially pneumonia. Now, when we look to the different uh, treatments given to multiple myeloma uh, patients, well, actually, almost all of these treatments include the use of high-dose dexamethasone. And dexamethasone is a major risk factor for infectious complications. And actually, it has been shown in the context of the COVID-19 infection that high-dose steroids are really a major risk factor for a negative outcome when it comes to the COVID-19 infected uh, patient in the general population. And there is another factor which, in my opinion, makes the myeloma patient uh, vulnerable to COVID-19 is about the patients themselves. The median age of myeloma patient is usually above 70. And some of these patients have some comorbidities, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, cardiovascular problems, and so on. And it is now uh, known uh, based on the large series from China, from Italy, uh, that age by itself and these comorbidities like diabetes, hypertension, or obesity in some patients are risk factors for COVID-19 uh, severe infection. So when you put all this together, actually you have all the ingredients for some severe forms of uh, COVID-19 infection in myeloma patients. So with this background, I think uh, we absolutely need to protect 
these uh, patients against the infection. But at the same time, this should not come at any price because we have also to pay attention to the uh, treatment of myeloma by itself because obviously we don't want them uh, to relapse uh, during this uh, COVID-19 outbreak. So how to protect them? I think first of all, and this is extremely important because we do not have any prophylactic measures against the COVID-19 infection. It's extremely important to follow the rules about strict confinement, about hand washing, about avoiding children and sick people, but also those people who are suspected to be uh, whatever infected. Uh, also, social distance, distancing in general is very important. It's extremely important in the overall population. I would say we should give it an additional higher level of uh, caution when it comes to uh, the myeloma patient and the hematology patient in general. But myeloma patients are really very vulnerable. So I think these general rules about confinement, about social distancing should be applied in a very stringent manner in this population. Now, when it comes to the treatments, actually uh, the patient, the physician should be aware of the fact that the virus doesn't circulate alone. We are as you know, humans and uh, the patient are the vehicles of the virus. So one major goal is to avoid any circulation. So you need to minimize the visits to the hospital uh, uh, for the patient. And we know myeloma patients are usually treated on an ambulatory basis and they come frequently uh, to the hospital. So this should be minimized. And there are several ways of minimizing this. For instance, clinical research protocols, if they're not bringing a vital drug, they should be put uh, on standby or alternative solutions uh, should be implemented by delivering drugs at home to the patient by follow-up using telemedicine. And actually, by the way, we should really promote the use of telemedicine in these patients and then you can nicely avoid uh, the use uh, uh, the circulation. If they need to come uh, to the hospital, we have ways to minimize this. For instance, the twice weekly infusions of carfizumib can be switched to once weekly. We know that that is working and it doesn't do any harm. And there are some drugs that can be administered at home. Uh, bortezomib subcute can be delivered at home. Whenever possible, we should be uh, able to switch to oral combinations. And we do have drugs, uh, uh, lenalidomide, pumalidomide, the imits in general are good oral uh, anti-myeloma drugs. Uh, Protism inhibitors like exazomib are oral drugs. So we can, and we should not forget cyclophosphamide. Oral cyclophosphamide is absolutely effective in myeloma. So we do have already oral combinations that can be highly effective. Now, what about uh, the transplant procedures, the auto-transplant procedures? Well, 
because of the need of hospitalization, because of the risk of complications, in a time where uh, intensive care units are overwhelmed with the COVID-19 positive patient, we would like to uh, minimize the need for intensive care. This is why I think it would be wise and reasonable to delay uh, an autotransplant procedure in uh, these patients. And actually that can be done without any harm to the overall outcome of the patient. If you add uh, another couple, a couple, uh, one or two cycles of induction like VRD or VCD or VTD, uh, but namely VRD, for instance, because we have a randomized trial, the IFM 2009 trial could show that VRD induction autotransplant maintenance gives you a similar overall survival to VRD eight cycles and maintenance. So definitely we do have plenty of uh, small ways to adjust and minimize the risk for the patient. And last but not least, as I mentioned in the, my introduction, the issue of dexamethasone. So definitely we need to minimize uh, this uh, dexamethasone dosage. So in uh, those patients receiving 40, I think moving to 20 milligram of dexamethasone can be sufficient. Uh, whenever possible, we have to reduce it or even discontinue it. I think skipping dexamethasone in one cycle, especially if you have a patient who is responding, he is in VGPR or CR, will not do any harm. So we really need to put all efforts trying to just go through smoothly through these three, four weeks of, I would say, danger zone. And with this, hopefully, uh, I think a patient will do well. Uh, from a psychological standpoint, it can be very hard, but we have to make choices and it's a very uh, temporary uh, crisis and hopefully uh, we will make it all together, but definitely uh, we need to pay attention and need to find solutions. These are extraordinary circumstances and you need to put in place extraordinary solutions in my opinion. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and share your thoughts with us on the topic. Visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves. Be sure to subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts, which are available on both Spotify and Apple podcasts.